Welcome to the Wilds Cast. On this episode, Rabbi Wilds speaks with Joshua Washington. Joshua is the director of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. This 30-year-old is a composition graduate of the University of Pacific's Conservatory of Music. Joshua is formerly IBSI's director of special events and planned music performance featuring the Hebrew Project artists across the country. Joshua is also a graduate of Christians United for Israel's 2016 Diversity Outreach Mentoring Endeavor, where he received family training in Israel advocacy for diverse audiences. He's an amazing guy, and Rabbi Wiles had an amazing conversation with him. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. There we are. Uh, welcome. Good afternoon. Welcome, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Thank Rabbi. you for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, and welcome, everyone, to the Wildscast, the MGE's podcast. Uh, we are live right now on the MGE Facebook page. Scott, if you wouldn't mind sharing to the Rabbi Mark Wilde's uh, Facebook page as well. Uh, I have the honor of hearing, uh, well, I had the honor just about a week ago of hearing uh, Joshua Washington, our guest today, sing and speak at the recent rally against anti-Semitism in Washington, D.C. MG came and brought a group. I don't know if you saw us there, Joshua, but we, we saw and we heard you and we were very impressed. Uh, Josh was the director of the Institute for Black Solidarity <clears throat> with Israel, which is called IBSI. Please correct me if I'm saying anything incorrectly. Yeah, that's all right. Um, and Joshua is a, is a composition graduate of the University of Pacific's Conservatory of Music. Uh, he was formerly IBSI's director of special events, planning musical performances featuring Hebrew project artists uh, across the country. Uh, he's also a graduate of Christians United for Israel's 2016 Diversity Outreach Mentoring Endeavor, which is acronym DOME, where he received training in Israel advocacy. And he was chosen, actually, to travel to Israel twice, um, <clears throat> once as part of the, the of, of Kufi's Millennial Outreach, Israel's Collective, uh, and again as part of a musical performance uh, with uh, Wild Branches and Friends. Uh, he's got a lot of really interesting musical projects and endeavors that he's working on. He writes and speaks extensively on Zionism and the civil rights, uh, trying to strengthen the Black-Jewish relationship in the United States, as well as forging bonds between the Black and Jewish communities. Joshua, thank you so much for being here. It's a great, great honor. I'm a huge fan of the work you're doing. Um, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for, for having me here. It's a pleasure. I know how busy you are, so this is great. I'm going to get right to it. Tell us, first of all, let's just talk a little about your personal experiences. Mm -hmm. Have you personally ever experienced racism, and has that been exacerbated in any way uh, as a black man defending Jews or the state of Israel? Yeah, so, you know, I have, um, personally, I have, I think, in a very... You know, I, I'm, I don't complain. I don't. I, I live a best. I live a very blessed life. You know, I, I fortunately have not, um, in a big way, experienced like overt racism. I, I have a couple of stories that I could share, um, but they're they're so in, in, minute in in how like in terms of the broad scope of my life, and even things compared to things that people close to me have experienced. 
Um, you know, but in terms of uh, Israel advocacy, um, that has definitely, uh, in terms of racist, whether comments or or um, people, uh, whether it's words or indeed, um, I have experienced racism uh, in that way for being a Zionist, um, for being someone who stands with Israel. You know, I've with all the other pejoratives that that sometimes get attached to Zionists because I am also black. Sometimes that my my ethnicity gets put into that those pejoratives mm-hmm. as well. Um, that's actually is where I have received the most uh, racism or or type of racial um, you know um, attack uh, a, a racist attack on on was my character or my the color of my skin things like that. Yeah. And is it from any particular segment of the population, or it's just more random? People are just not used to seeing someone who's black and so. Uh, so out there, you know, for Israel, yeah. it's it's from a specific. It's the, the common denominator is is usually is someone who's very anti-Israel, mm-hmm. um, someone who's very anti-Jewish. Um, whether they're, you know, I've been called pretty similar names by whether they're white people who are anti-Israel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, other Arabs or Palestinians who are anti-Israel, black other black people who are anti-Israel. Um, you know that it's not just that I'm wrong, but it's that I'm a sellout. I'm a, I'm a mm. time. I'm a traitor. You know, to my race, or or somehow I'm, you know, I'm a puppet of the of the Israeli government type of thing. Um, those types of things, you know, they get old after it's been a few years now. They get kind of old, but it's those same kind of pejoratives that get thrown at me from kind of like a rainbow coalition of of people who who hate the Jewish people. You know, that's kind of what they all have in common. And unfortunately, it's even it's even happened from other anti-Israel Jewish people, you know. Um, uh, and so be, that's that's, that's got to be particularly upsetting, you know. It is. I, I remember um, here in Charlotte, um, there was an anti-Israel rally that we found out about, and um, my wife organized the counter-protest. We went to counter-protest them during this past war with Hamas, mm-hmm. and. Um, we were there and, you know, we were just there. We, you know, we're two crowds were shouting at each other, like chanting, you know, we we're chanting Amish are high. Sometimes they're chanting other stuff. And, and then it started to get kind of intense in terms of words. And there was, there was a couple, there was a few Jewish people on the other side. And I know it's because they announced themselves as Jewish when the Jewish people on our side were chanting, like, you know, you guys, this is wrong. This is anti-Semitic. They're like, well, we're Jewish. You know, what do you what do you have to say about that? And then one Jewish guy in particular uh, called me a, a, um, a sellout. He said this is and a token. That's what it was. A token, a token black person, you know, for, for the Zionist, um, which, you know, and then what happened a few minutes after that was that someone on that side is an Arab man said some he told one of the Jewish guys on our side that, oh, the Nazis should have finished the job on you guys. Um and I just had to look and I was like, that's the side that you're on right now. I hope you realize what the, he just said to our Jewish people on our side, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so it's it's it is particularly mind boggling when it comes from, you know, and it's, I know it's a tiny percentage. I mean, when it comes to anti-Israel um, Jewish people, it's it's really not a majority at all. It's mo- it mainly comes from other black people and, and, and you know, some Arabs and, uh, and even sometimes white people. But. Um, like I said, but it, it does, it does get a little mind boggling. It was like, wow, you know, 
how, how could you say that to someone to me? But you know, and you're bringing up the issue, I guess, of sort of intersectionality, which has been used by many to mm. say that the Palestinian struggle in Israel is really the same as the fight of of the black person in America. I mean, why do you think people believe that they're analogous? Yeah. So much so that you know, and we can come back to this afterwards, you know, that the Black Lives Matter movement also began to incorporate, you know, free Palestine kind of, you know, messages. Sure. But why, why do you think, what is the basis of, of this as, as that the Palestinian struggle against Israel is the same as the civil rights struggle here right. at Black in the United States? Right. Well, Mark, it's, it's two main things. One is, one is a little bit more I have to get a little more in depth with that one. But the first one is simply there's a lot of history that's been hidden. And so there's a lot of I spoke about it a little bit at the at the D.C. rally, which was that, you know, there was a it wasn't just Dr. King who was pro-Israel, but there was a civil rights. There was a big group of black civil rights leaders who were a part of an organization that was founded by Bayard Rustin, who was Martin Luther King's close colleague. Um, that stood with Israel. It's called Black Americans to Support Israel Committee. And they not, they not only stood with Israel, but they were not ashamed in calling out um, Yasser Arafat, calling out the PLO, the terrorism that they would incite on Israel. Bayard Rustin even said prophetically that at the UN, that if we continue to give the PLO a pass when they commit terrorism against Israel, we'll see that terrorism exported all over the world. Um, fast forward to now, I mean, these past few years, we saw look at Brussels, we looked at you know, what happens here in the, in the U.S., right? Car rammings, all those things were like, almost like they were birthed in, in those territories. You know, it was, they were birthed by um, Yasser Arafat and, and kind of now we're seeing it all over the place. But a lot of stuff has been hidden. And so there's, there's that part of it. But then there's also the more direct part, which is that, you know, in... In the 60s, after Dr. King was assassinated um, in, in um, 1968, um, what was what would happen the coming years is that even, even before he was assassinated, you had this growing um, tension between two different camps in the civil rights movement. You had the peaceful work within the system type of camp to make change. That's what Dr. King was on. And you had the more radical, you know, the ends justify the means, you know, mm -hmm. black they're still the car Sure, sure. Exactly. And so that camp was getting fed up with Dr. King's camp. These were these were mainly younger people, and they felt that his methods were they were too slow and that you know we, we weren't really getting a lot of change. And so what what happened when um, you know, 10 days before Dr. King was assassinated, he spoke to what was happening in Israel. He spoke very favorably about Israel. He's, he was talking to a rabbi at the rabbinical assembly. And, um, you know, he said, the rabbi asked him, why do you think that there's, that there are, there are black people now who stand against Israel? Is it, you know, some people say that it's because Israel's full of white Europeans and that they're oppressing Arabs. And, and Dr. King said, well, there are some who are color consumed and they see a kind of mystique in being colored and anything non-colored is condemned. And he said, we don't follow that course. And then he begins to talk about Israel and how Israel is, you know, an, an oasis, you know, a brotherhood of, of democracy and um, an example of, of how a desert land, a wasteland can be turned into, um, you know, uh, can be, I, I, the word has escaped me, but can be turned into what it is now, you know. And, you know, what happened after he was assassinated was that there was this very intentional um, 
campaign, almost like this courting from Yasser Arafat to some of the other radical um, civil rights leaders, and some some even of the non-radicals. You know, he, he there's a there's an infamous picture of him embracing Jesse Jackson when Jesse Jackson comes to um, visit. Uh, to he was going to actually uh, try to negotiate peace between the two peoples. Right. I remember. I remember. And um, it was, um, you know, he he it was on purpose. Yasser Arafat. He wanted to get that photo op. You can see he's like embracing him. This trying to like depict himself as a freedom fighter, as a civil rights leader, and to to play on this notion that Dr. King talked about of color consumption. That okay, you know, you see how these white people are treating you in the in America. That's what's happening to us over here in this region. That's exactly the same thing. We're being oppressed. We're like the black people, and Israel's like the white people. And this is like the Jim Crow South, you know. And this is what they're doing to us. And it was a campaign that got a foothold because of because of the more radical wing of the civil rights movement, you know, there are a lot of people who, who grabbed onto that narrative. Um, there, there, were, there were people who were members of an organization called uh, SNCC, Students, I mean, um, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who then began to adopt these, these uh, lies about Israel being a colonialist, imperialist, and uh, stealing land and, and oppressing um, Arabs and, and um, you know, Blaming Israel for other problems other, in other parts of the globe, um, it was it was not just a random thing. It was an intentional uh, campaign on the part of Yasser Arafat um, to to reinvent himself in the eyes of of the West. So and so Joshua, if I can just jump in, so you're saying that what we're seeing today um, of where this. Um, the Palestinian cause is sort of co-opting the civil right. You're saying that this is not new. This has really been developing for, for decades. Actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's actually very interesting because um, I, um, I, I knew that Dr. King, uh, of blessed memory, was a, um, a great um, supporter of Israel. I was not so aware of that group that you just mentioned before. What was that called? The, um, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. SNCC. SNCC. Okay. And I wrote about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And but but I'm I'm wondering if we can just stay on this for a minute. This is really important because I think there's a, a a great impression in the Jewish community that you know there was a lot of reticence. Do we get involved with Black Lives Matter? Do we not? I know in the Orthodox community that I'm very well aware of, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of resistance for getting involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the broader Jewish community, there was like, no, it's a little, they're co-opting it. They're not, they don't, you don't see signs. If I ever saw a sign that said free Palestine, I would leave the, but we want to help our black brothers and sisters, you know, fight for what they need to fight for. Cause it's our fight too. Mm-hmm. But, but um, there's a sense, I think in some segments of the Jewish community in the, in, and I think in the very strong parts of the Jewish community mm-hmm. that, um, that it's like, it's a, it's a done deal. Black people just are, are thinking that Israel is, you know, they're with that narrative, they're with the Palestinian narrative, and therefore, how can we be with them? So if you could speak to that a sure. little, like, for our listeners, it'd be really, really helpful uh, to hear, you know, what you're saying and, and how this has been a historical, how this has been going on for years, and what would you suggest to combat it? Yeah, absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Um, I want to this. uh Take a step back. Okay, yeah. So you're absolutely right. There are um, 
when it comes to Black Lives Matter, for instance, first of all, um, Black Lives Matter really came onto the scene in, I think, 2013, 2014, right? Mm -hmm. This was right after um, the killing of Mike Brown. Now, they were, they were around during Trayvon Martin, but they really got like a global thing after the killing of Mike Brown. And um, pretty early on, Ferguson to Palestine was a hashtag that went all over the place. Um, and then it was then that both my father, who, who founded Ipsy, um, who, was, who was director at the time, um, he was saying, yeah, there's, there's nothing good that can come out of this. It's, it's right early on in the beginning, um, not to mention the fact that some of the things that Black Lives Matter was advocating for on their national platform didn't actually represent the views of the majority of the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we saw, so we saw the Ferguson to Palestine. We saw when they came out with their movement, the first time they came out with their movement for black lives, one of the things that they were against was uh, school choice, which is not something that um, either there's, there's a growing number of Black people who are exercising school choice for their children. And then there's, many of us don't even have an opinion on it. Like, it's not even a thing that, so for them to take this hard stance to be against charter schools and, and probably just didn't make sense. Like, it's not even something that, it, you know, uh, is something that's as big as a conversation right now, except for those families who want to homeschool their kids or something like that. Um, and so we were seeing some of these things. Okay, there's obviously a different agenda here because it's not really reflecting us. Um, even though they start from a premise of, okay, police brutality, you know, and, and we're going to, this is wrong, right? When police uh, sh- kill unarmed black men, these, let's look at these cases, you know, it started from something that I think most people could agree um, to the most, for the most part that, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then they kind of go from there and, and these, these things didn't really represent us. And so pretty early on, and because we're in the pro-Israel space, that was one of our things was, okay, well, they're not, you know, as an organization, their official platform is against Israel. I think Israel's an apartheid state and all those things. Um, and we received a lot of pushback, like you said, because people say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's different. They're different from the move. They're, they're different movements. Organizations, not the same thing. That's not, that's not true. They just want, they just want peace. They want the police to stop killing black men and black women. And that's all. So we want to stand with them. And, and, you know, the, the, the argument became the framing of the argument I noticed became there was an assumption that Black Lives Matter was the only way that that anyone could support the Black community. Um, that Black Lives Matter was that was it. There was nothing else, and that if you didn't support Black Lives Matter, then you didn't support Black Lives, and that was that was the end of it. And and so we pretty consistently stayed, you know, stayed our course of no, this is not this is not good. They're anti-Israel. They're not even representing us. Um, and like you said, this whole and then when we talked about their anti-Israel positions, some of the arguments we got was that, well, no, they're being co-opted. You know, they're, they're a good organization. They've been co-opted. But again, there's so much precedence for this. There really is, until we as, as a broader society can actually wrestle with the fact and acknowledge the fact that this whole narrative that Yasser Arafat sold to the Black community is, is the wrong narrative. It's false. Pretty much any movement that, that any social justice movement that, that kind of comes up is going to even if it even if it's not the agenda at first, it's gonna take on that agenda because that's being anti-Israel has become the new. Yeah. You know, so how do we how, how do we defeat that, Joshua? Because as yeah. you can see in your people and even in my people, yeah, 
even yeah. to the Jewish people, as you so eloquently, you know, when you were on, when you were at that uh, rally and the Jews on the other side standing with people calling, you know, the Nazis didn't finish their work. They're saying, right. right. So how do we defeat? Because you know that's something we should be working together on because it's it's in both of our communities. Right. You know, right. And I don't know what the numbers are. I, I assume it's. I assume it's in, it's in a larger segment of the black community than in the Jewish community, but it shouldn't be anywhere, right, especially right. in the social justice movement. You know, because right. you know um, it was just hard. Certainly, black we want we wanted to do something, you mm-hmm. know, during during this whole. And, and I felt guilty going to. Uh, I got into this whole thing. My brother's a mayor um, in mm-hmm. England, New Jersey, and okay. he, and he's a Sabbath observant Jew like I am, and he went. Mm-hmm. He walked every Saturday with Black Lives Matter, and I. Mm-hmm kept sending him these things yeah you know like what do you do you know what i mean like right. and right. how do we is there I, I mean i know this is complicated I'm, I'm asking you to simplify it but how do we change people's minds or how do mm. we get well maybe we don't change people's minds but we, yeah. we somehow divorce the palestinian cause from the social rights activism of the mm. civil rights movement and other legitimate movements right so two things Two simple things, and I'll expound: telling the truth and and education. Right. So, one of the things that that is happening now, it, within Black Lives Matter, is that a lot of people, a lot more people, and especially people in the Black community, are starting to see it for what it truly is. Um, the different chapters across the country have been calling for more um, transparency because Black Lives Matter just last year alone raised ninety million dollars. None of the chapters have seen anything, No, haven't seen a cent of that money. Um, you know, one of the founders, Patrice Cullors, just stepped down after buying her fourth house. And, no, you know, and, and so now some of these things are coming to light and other black leaders now are saying, OK, hold on a second. Wait. OK, so wait. So it's got to be in the hundreds of millions by now. Since 2013 and now, um, the Black Lives Matter have raised hundreds of millions of dollars um, and local chapters have been writing these these um, you know open letters and stuff to the organization saying okay like what about us and then not only that but the parents of the 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 children who have been killed by police officers are saying okay you guys raise money in my son's name or my daughter's name and none of that where like do you, you pay to raise funds for yourself right. and then and then when they look up and they see that Patrice Colors has her fourth house and is signing a book deal about okay what is what is actually happening. And, you know, for us at Ipsy, we've been consistent. So all we're doing now is just pointing to, okay, that's basically we told, we told you guys, you know, in a loving way saying, okay, but look, like we're not, we're not blowing smoke. Look at the fruits of their labor, right? What is, what has changed for us as a community? Nothing. And what's changed for them? Well, now they're rich, you know, that their Black Lives Matter has become this global thing. Yet what, what has actually been done? Not only that, what's happening in, in Cuba right now, I don't know if you saw Black Lives Matter's, um, tweet recently saying that we we stand uh uh with cuba against the the uh oil embargo that the united states has you know pressed upon it and basically that cuba is a good place and and there's just what america is the one that's coming after it and there are cuban people who are saying that's not what's happening like mm-hmm. that's that's not that's not why we're protesting why would you even take to social media and say that you're not even that's not even what's going on with us but there's like this clear, like they have their own agenda happening, whatever they want to do. Um, and so we continue to just 
point are to you, uh, are you do you have personal you have any relationships with the with the leadership in black lives matter is there, is there um, a way of you <laughs> it's gonna sound a little strange infiltrating and getting in there and and talking to them you know one one black man to another or is is because if i you know as a jew or even or a white person forget it you know so i have um so two things i have um i do know some people although it's funny I did have friends that I lived not too far away from when I was living in California. Some of those people have, have since unfriended me just because of my, my because of what I've been saying, the articles I've been writing about Black Lives Matter. Um, I haven't, but the thing is, most they wouldn't allow me anyway to like because now at this point, a lot of people know you know who I am and what the things that I say and yeah. uh, and um, the thing though is because you said it before and 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 I'm gonna expound on that you said should we even try to change their minds um and for me and what we've been doing at ipsy with this new program that we're we're launching um this fall called peace which stands for uh plan for education advocacy and community engagement what we're doing is and we're already in the vetting process now we're identifying we're interviewing those young uh community leaders whether they're pastors whether they're um whether they're just, you know, a local, your local barber, your local mechanic kind of thing. We're taking them through a 16 week course where we actually, with, with uh, the different teachers, teach them about um, Israel, whether it's Israel, Africa, black Jewish relations, um, Israel from a legal standpoint, the founding of the state of Israel. We talk about um, what's going on in terms of Israel and specific African countries, the relationships that they have. Um, and, and even 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 uh, biblical Israel, what does what does that for you know wh how far back the Israel Africa relationship goes and what it means for the synergy, all those things, um, take them to Israel, and then when they come back to their cities, we actually you know help them to plant a community center and continue that relationship with with the Jewish leadership in their communities. Wow, and and that for us. It's the long game, but one, this is actually how, this is actually how the anti-Israel camp has gotten so strong. I was in Buffalo, New York um, this past weekend, and I was speaking, I was speaking at a church or I was doing some music at a church. My dad was speaking and I realized that I didn't get my beard done. So I looked like a caveman, like <laughs> hair all the way up to the cheekbones. It was, it was ridiculous. And so I quickly looked up where the nearest barbershop was, but I was looking for a black barbershop because I wanted to get like a lineup and, you know, fade. And, and so I found one, I found a place they do fades and mm -hmm. I went there and the owner of the barbershop was a Palestinian boy, about 21 years old. And I'd never seen him before. So it was him. And then there was another guy who was there, just two of them. He owned the shop. It was his business and everything. And he, you know, he, he does, he like lines up hair and beards and stuff. And so, um, and I only knew, the only reason I know he's Palestinian was because, well, I, I could tell you it was Arab, but also he had the Palestinian flag on his hat. And then he also had artwork on the wall, different parts of the, the barbershop that had Palestinian artwork. There's one with the fist and the flag. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fist. And I was looking at this and as I was getting my beard cut and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't engage him at all because I was just observing also he was cutting my hair. So I was like, well, maybe not the best time. He's got a knife. <laughs> exactly. I'll just wait. I'll, I'll do that after. But, in my head, I said, my goodness, this is, it's genius. And this is actually part of the program that we're doing is this guy, no doubt, during this past war with Hamas, Israel and Hamas, because the, the clientele that was in the barbershop, there were black people. 
There are black people getting their hair cut, getting their hair lined up. They no doubt asked them what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Gaza. Of course. And he, I mean, and you know, you trust your barber and you don't know anything. You may not ever open a book, but your barber said, well, Israel's bombing us, they're always bombing us and they stole our land. And now that's all they know when they see an anti-Israel rally out they're going to think that that's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, it affected them on a cultural level that, that has like ripple effects. You know, it, this wasn't like a conference. This wasn't a, this wasn't a big, you know, gala where it was just, it was a barbershop. It was a barbershop in this local part of town. And this barber was, you know, he has, he literally has a platform every day where he cuts hair and he can just talk. Um, and that's part of what we're doing is, we're taking those and we're, we're, we're attempting to shift the culture. And it's, it's going to be a slow shift, but take these leaders to equip them and then to actually release them to their communities and help them to build up these relationships. Right. So well, if, those kind of encounters as well. If you need a place, if you need a place in Manhattan to hang your hat for, for any of these programs, it would be such an honor uh, for MGE to host. Uh, because the truth is, I mean, th this is primarily for black Americans or it's really for anyone. So this program is primarily for Black Americans right now, only because because that's where the like we talked about Yasser Arafat, that's where the attacks have been coming yeah, from, yeah. directed directly at. And so we want to, yeah. And, but the the actual community centers that will be planted, there will be collaborations with local rabbis, with with you know, th there will be you know these community centers will they'll look different in different cities. So our plan, our five year plan, is to have um, three hundred Ipsy ambassadors across forty eight cities. Wow. Uh, and and what they'll they'll all look they won't all look the same because it will be based on what these leaders feel their community needs. You know, so one center might just be it might be a place where a lot of tutoring happens and, um, you know, it might be like a, a, a basketball court there or, you know, one might have like a library with all these different resources for, you know, different things about Israel and Africa. One might actually be a, a performance venue, you know, that I could go to and perform every once in a while and, and do some events. But it really just depends on what what the community needs and what that leader those leaders feel that they need, um, and that will be the collaborating with with the Jewish community in those areas to really foster that synergy, um, so that people can literally go there and they can just get a touch of like a taste of 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 Israel, a taste of Israel Africa or, or Black Jewish relations. Um, last thing I'll say too about it is, my father talks about this in his book Zionism and the Black Church. Um, there's this hip-hop group called the Wu-Tang Clan. Mm -hmm. uh, and probably the the probably one of one of the most popular uh, hip-hop groups of all time. Okay. And um one of the one of the rappers in the group, Method Man, he was being interviewed. He had written a song with the group called PLO Style. And they asked him, what you know, why did you write that? Like what, what was your inspiration for that? Now they're from Brooklyn. He says that growing up in Brooklyn. There is a store, it's a PLO store that's in Brooklyn where you can go and you can actually buy, it's just paraphernalia, right? Kefias, um, you know, there's there's pictures on, in the store of, of um, you know, freedom fighters, right? They're, they're throwing, I, you've probably seen some of those pictures where they look, they're throwing Molotov cocktails and there might be like a tank in front, an Israeli tank in front of them. So it looks like they're, you know, going up, they're David and, you know, Israel's Goliath. But he said, yeah, he just, he grew up going to those stores. He thought that was so cool. And he wrote a song about it. Wow. But because they're the largest hip hop group in the world, like that, that, that song had its effects on people, you know? So these people, 
some people who maybe would never read anything about Israel listen to this song and psychologically they're okay, well, the PLO must be a great, I mean, it's a Palestine liberation organization. Right? Yeah, it's so, a great name. It's they're going to liberate the Palestinians. I mean, who's not for that? Um, and so what we're doing is shifting it in the other direction in that same kind of patient long game type of way where we can plant these things and shift the culture by having people, you know, if they never go to Israel, they'll go to these centers and they'll actually get a, an accurate picture of what Israel is um, and and actually get to meet Jewish people and 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 become you know de hopefully develop lifelong deep friendships you know and we're we're hoping to we're, we're seeking to foster that. That's amazing. I mean, I, I just on this podcast just last week I interviewed the gentleman who founded Fuel for Truth, which is sort of the Jewish version. Mm -hmm. of that. Are you familiar with Fuel for Truth? Yes, I love that. Yeah. yeah, so they have like this ten day boot camp. And you'd be surprised how many young Jewish people coming through even the Jewish day school system, mm. 12 mm. years of Jewish day school education, could yeah. not really articulate Israel's case and explain mm. why, you know, so much of what's out there is just simple lies. Right. So right. We, we have to do our share of that. Also, if there's mm. any way we can work together and we can be a host for you, uh, I, I think it's amazing. I'm really curious what. I know that you are obviously very influenced by your, your father's a pastor. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And he, he really sort of started you on this path. So what mm -hmm. was your inspiration? What's your dad's inspiration? Um, what, what drew you to all of this? What motivated you to become so pro-Israel slash Jewish? Because it's, it, it's extraordinarily inspirational to me as a rabbi. Mm. Um, and it's very comforting because I, I grew up listening to speeches by Dr. King and mm. about Israel. And then, you know, things have not necessarily developed in that way. Mm. And the mm. black Jewish relations, uh, what, what inspired you and what, what, what from your own personal experience with your, with your dad and, and the book he wrote could, could be exported? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think he'll tell it a little bit differently, but what, what inspired my dad, especially for me, just looking as, as his son growing up was, um, the the return of the diaspora was i think the first thing that really i mean my dad is always was always he grew up christian he grew up uh baptist actually mm -hmm. but he was he was always so interested in in torah like in the in the tanakh and so he loved reading torah he loved reading the prophets even as a kid he talked about how he just he loved he was fascinated with those stories and mm -hmm. and um you know it was it was almost it was kind of a very literal thing for him growing up seeing he said he remembers being a kid, maybe six or seven, and, and coming home, and and the TV was on, and there was a program about there was a group of Ethiopian Jews. That one of one of the airlifts, they had returned to Israel, and they were crying and hugging and kissing the ground. And he just remembers he was like, I was just so captivated by that. I didn't know what exactly was going on, but there was just something about that return. He just it he it just spoke to him. And as he got older, he just you know, um, my dad really is. Um, a lot of what I do now, he, he really did kind of like tra trail or blaze the trail, you know, like beat the path. Um, it was just something that he he would just study on his own a lot. He, wow. he just read a lot. He he was very fascinated with Israel, with with even with other things like African politics and Africa, Israel. And and um, and obviously being a pastor, he saw the return of the diaspora as something that was, you know, fulfilling scripture. He was like, oh, my goodness, this is. This is, you know, this, there's no precedent for this. This is, this is yeah. amazing. You know? Oh, it's incredible. It's, 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 yeah. by the way, I'll just tell you a quick story because you mentioned yeah. Ethiopian 
Jews yeah. returning to Israel. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you realize there were um, there is a, a verse somewhere in the Bible in the prophets that mm-hmm. says when the Messiah will come, the Jewish people will be brought back to Israel on the wings of an eagle. You know, yes. I guess we look at that as a metaphor, but yeah. you know, and a lot of the Ethiopians who had never seen modern day plumbing, right. never seen it, an airplane, and we're getting on this airplane. Yeah. For the first time, and felt like I I had spoken, I did some volunteer work with Ethiopians when they first were airlifted to Israel. It's an unbelievable Mm. unbelievable story. Uh, But they they thought they they, they were landing on the the wings of eagles. Yep, yep. I heard that it was similar for for the Jews of Yemen as well. It was, they didn't want to get on the plane, and and people, and then I think, I don't know if it was one of the, uh, the pilots or whatever, someone had to tell them, okay, no, no, these are eagles' wings. Eagles wings, like think about it like that, and they were like, "Oh, okay, wow." This, and it's like, okay, well, maybe that's actually what that scripture <laughs> was about, you know? Because literally, that's that's the only reason why some of those Jews actually got on the plane. Yeah, no, you're and absolutely right. I'm curious, also, you you grew up the son of a pastor. Was was that what drew you to music? I I, I listened to some of your work. It's really mm-hmm. really talented. Um, is that also coming from more of a spiritual place? Your your um, so my dad is also a musician. Um, he he played in church his whole life, played piano, literally since he was eight years old, playing in youth choir and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to college for um, at the conservatory in San Francisco for a piano performance, you know, taught me how to play. And then when he started the church, um, I began to play. I began to actually first play bass with him. He would play keys and I played bass and we had a drummer. Um, but then I, you know, as time went on, he wanted me to play more and, and, uh, I started playing more in church and that was where I began to really write and learn how to compose and arrange. And I always loved, uh, orchestras ever since I was a kid, but then going to, you know, playing in church helped me to develop my skills. And then I wind up going to college for, for composition. Um, and yeah, my writing and all that stuff really, um, I owe to my dad, but specifically the church that, that. Um, that Zion, congregation of Zion that that was we where we were in California that we were for about 16 years. Um, I learned how to play, write, arrange, compose, sing. Wow. You know, I really know how to sing better and direct. You know, and and so there's a lot of things that I can do now on a very high level because of that constant week after week. You know, rehearsing and playing, rehearsing and playing, um, and being able to hone hone my craft in that way. So yeah, it's a very it comes the source of it is very spiritual and. And I think um, the older I get, the more that I think it becomes apparent um, in the in the songs that I write when I when I'm performing and doing shows that it comes from a very spiritual place. So. It's beautiful. Well, I I really enjoyed listening to your music, and um, you know what was it? I'm curious because I have um, I, I play the drums. I've been playing percussion since I'm 12, and oh, yeah. I also, I also got into music through <clears throat> the Bar Bat Mitzvah Wedding. I used to play in yeah. a klezmer Jewish band. Um, but my oldest, my oldest son, who's 24, Yosef, is a musician. Mm. Um, and he was very inspired by, I'm just curious, you know, there's this, um, um, there's some sort of term when you're like the kid of a preacher. Um, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of, it sounds like you had a very positive upbringing in terms of your dad's involvement with the church. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I um, and I, and I do recognize too that it's, it's not always a reality for, you know, I grew up with a lot of different pastors, children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not always a reality, you know, for okay. all of us. Um, so I do recognize that, that I have been blessed to, to respect my dad, um, to, to respect what he does. I mean, 
but both my parents very consistent you know my dad was my dad is my dad no matter what setting he's in you know he's very he has integrity he's very consistent in that way and yeah i mean still look up to him you know i, I played piano because he did and you know i i um and but now you know seeing that it wasn't just me wanting to be like him but it is you know part of what my my own life's calling is as well is to continue you know what he started you know to continue what he started and to um you know uh keep that going so yeah but it's i can't i have i have no complaints at all about about that's how we were and all this stuff absolutely well that's wonderful we, we only have time for like one last question um what would um you know i wrote a book recently called the 40-day challenge um and it's basically insights to help people prepare for the most important time on the jewish calendar which is the high holidays um, what do you do to prepare uh, for your spiritual life? Like this, what what helps you feel more connected? Mm. Curious. Um, for me, that's a great question. Um, when it comes to whether it's because everything that I that I do, whether it's speaking on behalf of Israel, whether it's doing music, um, other other things in different ministry, um, I see as this is all holy work, right? This is all. It's not just, I don't just do this for fun. I mean, I, I told my friends, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this as a Zionist if I was just doing it just because. I mean, there's so many things I could do <laughs> that, you know, I, I, could, I could not get attacked for and, and be great, you know. But, um, but one of the things I do prepare, um, one thing that's vastly important to me is just is being in uh, God's word, like reading, reading the scriptures. Um, I've, I follow the Parsha. Um, and so like that actually helps me to stay regimented because sometimes I don't know kind of where to start or whatever, but just reading that. And then, um, that's actually then, very, that's actually very good advice because it's methodical mm-hmm. and there's something everyone, no matter what's exactly. going on. Exactly. And, and there've been, I mean, I've done it for enough years now to see sometimes that it directly reflects what's happening in the world. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, oh. I mean, it's, it's been crazy sometimes like right. what is or sometimes something will happen i'll see something on the news and i'll go i wonder if the parashah is oh my gosh it is like it is that so, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's funny i've parasha. never heard joshua i've always heard jewish people religious jews saying that oh the parsha i've never heard somebody that's great that's really, really great <laughs> no it's it's it, it's one of the things that keeps me grounded i think because um it keeps me going crazy i should say because okay there's there's precedence for this there's actually you know, it reminds me that, okay, God is still, he's on the throne. He's still in control. Like it's not, the world's not, you know, out of control. It's just, it's, it's going crazy right now, but there's an order still to these things. And, um, you know, that, um, when it comes to performances or anything like that, um, at times I will, I'll fast before I, before I perform. Um, there are times when, um, yeah, whether it's fasting being the word or, um, just kind of isolating in that, like, cutting like putting my phone away because I, I i see that those things can distract me from like sure. especially, especially for performances i i see that you know i i want to get to a place where i feel as free as possible to kind of do i used to just i used to just do it before a service at church but now i see as like it's music is a very spiritual thing and and um i want to be in a place where you know i'm i'm an like i'm an empty vessel in that way you know to, mm-hmm. to whoever's going to be there to actually give them more than just good music but a, a very spiritual experience um and then and yeah and then also, and then honestly just having that one on one time with my wife is like the thing that keeps me the most grounded you know and and she keeps me from 
I'm a very artistic person, obviously. And so I, I can very easily kind of float away. Um, <laughs> and, and she really does keeps me like on the ground, like, okay, I hear you, but you know, let's, let's talk about what reality is. And those things really keep me balanced. You know, those things really, um, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. I, I actually had a teacher who suggested that before you, know, you speak very well, um, at the rally, I saw that, that before you give a talk, Mm. sermon on for us for Shabbat right you know, that take a moment and say a little prayer mm. Mm. to ask you know like you just said it beautifully about using your that you that you should serve as a vehicle for something greater yeah absolutely um, and and um I found that to be helpful too mm. I, I, the reason I wrote this book is because people sort of just show up a lot of Jewish people on holidays and they're sort of waiting for the magic to happen Right, um, right. A lot of it is uh, our own personal spiritual pre pre preparation mm. that we need to do. I'll, I'll, um, maybe we'll email exchange it. So if you can send me your address, I'd love to send you a copy of the book. Absolutely. Please do. Please do. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I really want to thank you for your time. I know how busy you are. Um, and you're, you're really doing God's work on so many levels here. Mm. Um, I, I can't thank you on behalf of the Jewish community. Nobody appointed me as, as their uh, representative. I will, I, will, I will say as a rabbi and as a teacher, how inspirational it is um, to talk to someone whose values are so aligned and who's really, I think, um, perpetuating the legacy of, of Dr. King, of what he began. And I'm hoping that with the work you do, and this is my blessing to you, that, that the, with the work you do, that that way, his approach, his methodology will be able to continue. Uh, to help the black people, to help all peoples uh, who need help, including the Jewish people, and that we will, you know, stop demonizing each other and creating these narratives that are not being helpful to anyone, not to the Palestinian people either. Mm. Um, and um, and that you should just go from mechal chayal, we say in Hebrew, you should go from strength to strength. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, and I really appreciate you for for like bring, reaching out to me really take out the time. I really appreciate, I really enjoyed this a lot. It's a pleasure. And remember we're in New York city. Anytime you need anything in Manhattan, we're here. Absolutely. You know what? I'll, well, I won't be in Manhattan. I'll be in Greenwich village in a few weeks. Awesome. Um, September 22nd. I have a show there. Um, it's oh, my wow. day before my birthday. So I'm doing a kind of a birthday show. I'm sharing some, some of my other Zion theme songs and other things. And, and I would, yeah, I'd love to, well, send me, send me information about that show. We we, we oh, have yeah. a lot of people in Connecticut and New York. It's right. It's 30, 40 minutes from us. It's right cool. there. Yeah, I will do. Yeah, please. I, I, if I can go, I'd love to see you perform. And um, and we, we should let's stay in touch. This is great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thank you, sir. God bless you, man. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.